It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. No votes, no committee meetings. No shave November. That's that is true. It's just November for me. Yeah. I saw a meme that said that. It just means anything you ask me to, I'm going to say no. Okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so they purposefully took this week off. We've heard that the final, final, final negotiations are happening. We know some Democrats were in town yesterday with the governor. And we're hearing that it is all set up as... The, go time. Yeah. Go, calm before the storm, if you will, right? That's right. We could see votes as early as Tuesday in the Senate, yeah. Wednesday in the House. A rumor. And a final budget could be... On the governor's desk Thursday, yeah. which sets up a little timeline for whether or not the governor vetoes it. Likely that he would veto that budget. And so then we're looking at the potentially the week after for an override or what that looks like. I think is yet to be determined. By the way, we are recording the podcast on Wednesday this week. We talked to some legislative Democrats yesterday. They said they're hoping to get the governor to a place where maybe he just doesn't sign it, but doesn't veto it. So it becomes law within 10 days, and the state will have its first full budget since 2018. But not so sure that that will work with the governor. If he vetoes it, then the General Assembly responds. And a potential override happens. We also think that we'll probably be able to see that public version of the budget on Monday. So that'll come out and folks will know what's in it. It'll be interesting to see whether or not those policy provisions that target the executive branch are going to be included in that final budget. I think that's something to keep your eye on. And I think if they are in the budget... That will be a line in the sand for the governor. We go back and forth on the policy of tax relief, tax cuts, spending here, not enough spending there. But I think those are fighting words for the governor. The big question will be the eyes on the Democrats that voted for the final budget in their respective chambers. Legislators like Michael Ray, Howard Hunter, Ben Clark in the Senate, Kirk Devier in the Senate, Billy Richardson over in the House. Will they stick with their yes votes or will they protect the governor? My guess is that Speaker Tim Moore, Senator Phil Berger are not bringing a budget to the floor that they haven't already counted some of those votes. So the pressure really is on the governor. Despite not having session this week and being in the building the rumors they are a flying we have nothing to do we might as well start meddling we have rumors flying allegations flying it made for a lot of drama this week especially after we passed redistricting last week there's a lot of double bunking and we sent you to colin campbell's article but the dust has settled and It is anything but pleasant to look at. So we just saw the Carolina Journal article today saying that Representative Madison Cawthorn 
plans to run in the district that was widely assumed to be created for Speaker Tim Moore. Mm-hmm. And so that's something I think is going to create quite a stir at the General Assembly and also I think just with legislators. We were talking to a client today about this. We we represent the firefighters and we have our leadership lives up in Congressman Cawthorn's district. So they have some political connections up there and they've been talking to some donors and apparently the word has been issued by Congressman Cawthorn. They told this prominent donor in Western North Carolina that yeah, that district that we all thought would go to Speaker Tim Moore, Congressman Cawthorn is saying that is his new district. At least that's what he's telling this donor right now. But it is not the district that he currently lives in. That's right, which as many know, you don't have to live in a district to run for that district for U.S. Congress. You do for the General Assembly. As has been pointed out by pretty much every major media organization, there are a couple lawsuits on those maps already. We don't know how those will turn out and they will move through the process. Some of them are on the process itself, Mm -hmm. not on the maps. And some of them are on the maps. There is one lawsuit, I think that was filed Friday, that says race should have been taken into account. So it's going to be hard to follow all of those, but just like wake me up when it's over. We'll see what those districts look like. That Carolina Journal article talks about this poll that Congressman Cawthorn put out. Maybe that poll shows that he shouldn't run in a district that's not even his district. The voters might think you're carpet bagging or something like that. We'll just have to see how it plays out. Maybe he gets some numbers back and sits in his current district. As we are recording this, the Leandro case is being heard. And it has elevated the toxicity, I believe, between the legislative branch and the judicial branch. The Democrats are siding with the Superior Court judge. Republicans are saying, look, this guy has no constitutional authority to be making any plans of transferring $1.7 billion, I think, by today. And we've seen some sharp words, sharp words coming out of the legislative leadership. We've discussed this before, like what the constitutionality is for a judge ordering an appropriation, what that looks like, kind of threw into the mix, like you said, that Josh Stein's office submitted a filing in the case yesterday saying that they felt that the Constitution itself had an assumed appropriation in it by saying that the state had to give a sound basic education. And of course, that led to a ton of opinions on Twitter, folks saying, well, what about all these other parts of the Constitution? Wouldn't those be appropriations? And it can kind of lead you down a cycle if you think hard enough about it. You and I were talking about this earlier in the week. The Constitution also guarantees a free education in the UNC system as practicable. Could you make an argument that the General Assembly should have been paying everyone's tuition all this time? We don't do that. I think we're paying about 65% of a North Carolina student's education at the UNC system. It was a surprising filing because... While it said this, it didn't side with one side or the other. It was just a memorandum of law. So they were just stating their opinion on it. And I'm not sure if that will hold any weight 
today. If you want really good background on the Leandro case, on November 3rd, I think it was, our friends over at Spectrum News did a great podcast with Rob Leandro, the student from Hope County, who was the initial plaintiff in the lawsuit against the state. Kind of gives you some texture from a case that goes back three decades. Right. And how old is he now? He is 42 years old. It's a great podcast, gives you great background. Rob Leandro did not have a uniform education compared to other counties. Again, going back to 1994. I think about that with my own experience. I went to a small high school in Illinois, and I didn't even know what an advanced placement class was until I got to college and all of these other people were talking about their AP courses. I'm like, what is that? Mm -hmm. And so I think it is a national problem. I mean, the education problems that every state faces, are they're not unique to North Carolina. That's true. I moved around a lot as a kid. So I went to a lot of high schools through high school. I was in Johnston County. I went to a couple high schools here in Wake County. There's a big difference, even community to community. Regardless of county lines, even within a system, you see great disparities. I don't know how we're going to fix this. One of the things I thought during COVID, during the shutdown is we should just shut down the schools and then rebuild an entire educational system. I know that's not practical, but it feels like that's what you're going to have to do. Just fixing it here and there. Just start over. (laughs) Yeah. With the property taxes and the, the whole thing is just messy once you dig into it. So this week we got to sit down with someone who has worked in the judicial branch. He is now a legislator in the North Carolina House. In fact, as he tells us in the podcast, he also worked in the executive branch. Representative Joe John, a lot of people call him Judge John, sat down and talked to us this week about his life in North Carolina politics. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Judge Joe John, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you all. Thank you very much for having me. I'm quite honored. To kick us off, tell us about your district. Where is your district? Why do you think your district is special? Of course, it will change a little bit uh, <laughs> in about a, about a year. But uh, since I've been elected, I've represented uh, essentially northwest Wake County. Uh, runs from um, Wake Forest, parts of Wake Forest, all the way along the... Uh, County lines out there, Granville, Durham, uh, and uh, all the way down to parts of Morrisville. So it's a large geographic district. Probably takes oh, 45 minutes to an hour to go from one end, one end to the other. It's, uh, I think, a unique or close to unique district. I believe there's one other district somewhat similar in uh, in North Carolina in that uh, uh, it is close to 80% Caucasian. Uh, and uh, the college educated uh, stat uh, statistics are very close to that uh, so and it's primarily uh, suburban residential as I said we have a little bit of uh, 
metropolitan Wake Forest, metropolitan uh, Morrisville, but it is primarily suburban, residential, and uh, maybe maybe I and my district are are, uh, are pretty well suited. I, I, I'm sort of representative, uh, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> uh, of of my district. Uh, I have a couple of uh, extra degrees. Uh, I am Caucasian, uh, and uh, uh, I'm. The other thing I might might mention is that the the largest political, in quotes, affiliation in the district is the unaffiliated voter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, uh, there are roughly forty uh, percent of the voters are unaffiliated, thirty percent Republican, and about twenty nine percent Democrat. So mm. wow. I'm I'm in a minority, and uh, it's the unaffiliated voter that, that makes the uh, makes the calls in the elections. And that that's fairly well suits me because I, I, even though I uh, do carry a party registration, I, I feel like I uh, look at things independently. Uh, as you, you called me judge, as you know, I've uh, been a judge for oh, over 25 years in the state system, had other, other positions as well. But uh, I approach things and issues as they come up in the General Assembly, pretty much as I did when I was a judge. I try to gather all the evidence, as much information mm-hmm. as, I, as I possibly can, uh, weigh, uh, weigh it both sides, listen, uh, and try to determine what would be the best best outcome for, uh, yes, the residents of my district, but, but for all the taxpaying citizens of the state of North Carolina. So are you making the case that you have the most educated district? <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that that's, that's uh, necessarily something to be too, too concerned about, but, but uh, I do know that the number of college-educated folks is, is pretty, uh, percentage is pretty high in, in the area. And that, that's not all that surprising with uh, RTP and so forth right. uh, uh, and the universities uh, in the area. So you mentioned before we started recording that you listened to Representative Billy Richardson's interview, and in that interview, he said that he feels that the undecideds are trying to tell us something. What are you hearing when you talk to the undecided voter? Definitely get the impression that, uh, uh, particularly the young folks who are registering for the first time, they are... uh, Distinctly unimpressed with with the with the partisan um, back and forth uh, that uh, unfortunately sometimes uh, we we uh, we engage in and and I think the unaffiliated folks and that number keeps going up by mm-hmm. the way uh, I think those folks are telling us that uh, we want somebody who's going to uh, get in and try to be a problem solver and not a partisan politician and. Uh, that's which which works for me because that's sort of the way I, as I've said, I, I try to approach the uh, approach the role of a, uh, a legislator. Take us back a little bit. Talk about your upbringing and how you got to where you are now. Just who is Judge John? <laughs> my goodness. Uh, well, my uh, both of my parents are. Uh, children of East European immigrants. Uh, in fact, my mom, although born in the United States, uh, returned to, in her case, Poland 
for a number of years before they, they came back and, and settled settled permanently. My, my dad's family came from, uh, came from Hungary. I've, I've held some sort of job since I was about 13 years, years old. My, my dad was believed absolutely in work and hard work. And what was it. your first job? Uh, in a uh, bag boy in a grocery store. And, and uh, so I, I had that example and, uh, and learned from it. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say I see it also in my children. So I, we've uh, passed, uh, passed that along. Um, I went to, uh, to UNC and graduated there and graduated, have a graduate degree as well and then uh, a law degree. Uh, my first job out of law school was representing indigent clients in mm -hmm. uh, in Greensboro, which in what was then called the uh, Greensboro Legal Aid Foundation, I called it Legal Services, I think now. Uh, and that was that was a uh, an interesting experience. I, I then I, then I served for a few years as a, a senior assistant district attorney in the in the uh, Guilford County District Attorney's Office was a private practice in a small law firm, uh, district court judge, superior court judge, court of appeals judge. Uh, and after I retired from the judgeship, I, I had positions at, uh, at the uh, North Carolina Division of Motor Vehicles. I was a deputy commissioner. And then um, also held a position as director of the state crime laboratory. So, my mom always said I never could hold a job, so, <laughs> so maybe, maybe maybe that's the that's the case. But I, I come, I say all that. I come to the General Assembly with a fairly extensive uh, background in a lot of different aspects of state government. Uh, we've said and not yet been contradicted that I actually am the first person to to be elected to the General Assembly, the legislative branch, after having served at the highest levels of both the uh, executive and the uh, and the judicial branches of, of government. So I at least have that uh, uh, perhaps unique uh, characteristic. So what is it like to transition uh, from the judicial branch where you're interpreting the law to lawmaking? And I'd like to add for our listeners that you sit on a judiciary committee where you are known for being well prepared for a lot of the judicial bills that go through that committee. It's a very much a working committee. Yeah. I'd like to get your take on that. Well, well one difference <laughs> was that when I was a judge, I, I at least temporarily had the final word on things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, it's it's uh, the exception right of the rule now that uh, I have any word <laughs> in anything. Uh, to be serious, uh, yeah, I, I, I try to work hard uh, and uh, look at the bills. I, I do have the background uh, at, with bills that affect the judicial branch and the operations of the judiciary. And so uh, I, I think as time has gone on, even folks on both sides uh, want, at least want to hear what I have to say because I had been there, done that, so to speak, uh, for, uh, for, for a number of years. If you think back on the, all of the bills that you've seen, what do you think was the most impactful bill that you played a part in? I can tell you which one I would have liked to have uh, played okay. an impactful sure. part in, and that was the 
the, the bills that um, made North Carolina the first state to move from nonpartisan election of judges to to partisan back to partisan elections. I, 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 based on my personal experience, based on my observations over the years in the court system, I think it's just wholly inconsistent to expect judges, as we all do, to be fair, independent, impartial on the one hand, and then be partisan politicians on the other. Is to, uh, just does not compute, as the, as the kids say. Have you found that running in judicial races, the average citizen doesn't really know anything about those running for judicial seats? There, there is certainly, uh, certainly some of that, and that's uh, that's the uh, pretext, I, I would say, that uh, many use to say, well, that's why we need to run on a partisan basis, so to give them some idea. Um, the, you're not supposed to decide on a partisan basis. You're supposed to be impartial. And uh, running, on a, running as a representative of a partisan uh, a political party uh, it just again, to me, is wholly inconsistent with uh, with the role uh, the role of a judge. Do you think that judges should be appointed? You know, I've gone gone back and forth mm-hmm. uh, over, over the years on that, and there there are benefits and flaw, uh, and uh, um, uh, flaws in in both both ways of going about it. Uh, I, I don't I don't mind the uh, the thought of folks uh, judges. Uh, running for election, I, I may be helpful to a judge to get out and hear what hear what folks are are thinking and uh, and so forth. Uh, and uh, but uh, so bottom line, short answer to your question, probably yes, elections. Although I, I certainly can't say I've been consistent on that uh, mm-hmm. throughout uh, throughout the years. We do work within a political system where the majority party runs the agenda. And right now, that is the Republican Party. How are you working behind the scenes so that when we do see a bill change or modify, a lot of times it has your fingerprints on it? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I guess it, 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 it's been a, a situation that, that's developed over time as I've gained more experience in the, in the General Assembly. And uh, folks on the other side have... Uh, seen that I, particularly with ju- uh, issues affecting the judicial branch, that, that I'm, I'm coming from that background and not from a partisan, partisan background. And, that, and I'm, I'm saying, here's what, based on my experience, will work in the courts, and here's what I see as an issue in this particular, uh, particular piece of legislation that's going to create uh, problems for the, for the uh, fair and efficient operation mm-hmm. of the uh, of the court system. I think a lot of folks think that the General Assembly is just full of attorneys. And when I first entered the General Assembly, there certainly were more attorneys, enough to fill up for J committees with attorneys, but there has been a decline over the years. You're very busy, right? Because a lot of bills are introduced by non-attorneys, very well-intended bills, but sometimes the practical uh applicability of that bill gets a little jumbled. Yes, it does um, put uh, maybe a, a, a greater responsibility on those of us who are attorneys uh, and those very few of us who have been judges uh, to uh, to say, 
this this is the practical effect of what you're of what you're uh, suggesting or recommending. Uh, yes, I understand it's well intentioned, but it, but uh, sometimes good intentions have, have unintended consequences, and uh, that, that's part of my job to hopefully to, to point those out. What made you decide, after serving at these high levels of <laughs> other branches of government, to run for office and serve in the North Carolina House? I've tried to retire twice, and that, that, that didn't work. <laughs> so so I, I guess I was uh, um, in a situation where I, I felt like I, I wanted and needed to continue to, to serve. As you all know, won my first election by the grand total of 384 votes in a, in a very in a very difficult year. Uh, you beat an incumbent. Beat an, a five-term incumbent mm. uh, who had, I believe, had never drawn less than 55 percent of the vote uh, in in the uh, in the district. So it was pretty remarkable. I, I don't I don't think when we started, folks, very few folks gave as much of a much of a chance. Um, but to actually to answer your question, after all those years of both interpreting the law and trying to apply the law as, a, as an executive in, in state agencies, uh, there were many, many times that I said, why on earth is the law this way or that way, and why, why should we have to do this? And so I thought I'd take a shot at trying to uh, influence and implement uh, legislation. Can you describe to us a little bit about your political philosophy? You kind of alluded to it earlier, saying describing your district and you thought you fit in well. And I want you to put it in the context, too, of you either vote red or green. You don't really get to vote in the middle sometimes, which I know can be frustrating, especially when you're trying to see both sides of it. If you have to put a, a, a label to it, I'm a moderate in, in mm-hmm. today's uh, uh, in today's scheme, uh, middle of the road doesn't mean I, I won't vote for something that might be viewed as far left or, as for that matter, far right from, from time to time. I think I'm more accurately described as a pragmatist. It's a rare bill that comes through where I think any of us in the General Assembly individually agree with every particular provision uh, in, in that bill, and it's always a... Uh, a balancing uh, balancing test is is the is the uh, total effect of the bill beneficial uh, or ultimately at least more than fifty percent uh, or is it not and that that's uh, that's that's the bottom line test typically. Being a moderate, does it put pressure on you? There's not very many of you <laughs> left, <laughs> so I mean you have your caucus looking at you, you have the other caucus looking at you. Uh, yeah, we have a governor in the governor's mansion. What's that like? I guess uh, if uh, if I were less experienced and, and um, perhaps uh, uh, if I had great ambitions to do something further beyond uh, this, this uh, uh, stint in the General Assembly, which uh, probably is my last rodeo, as they say, uh, I, it might concern me more. I'm in this job to do the job as best I can, and uh, the fact that uh, some folks on either the far left or far right may not uh, uh, approve of what I do on a particular uh, on a particular vote uh, is just uh, something I have to deal with and, and move on. 
What would you say is the most frustrating part about serving in the house? I wish the uh, the numbers were a little more a little more equal. Uh, when I first came to the General Assembly, I, I did have these visions of uh, uh, a, a great nonpartisan or or if you will bipartisan enterprise and unfortunately that doesn't happen as often as uh, as, as I might like, uh, and uh, that's probably the, 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 the greatest uh, greatest frustration. And what do you like most about it? Well, you do you do have an opportunity at least to, to stand up and say your piece on on uh, everything that comes through the through the general assembly, and uh, if nothing else, uh, five years down the road, when what you said turned out to be the case, you have the opportunity to say I told you so. so. (laughs) (laughs) Our politics are incredibly polarized right now. If you had a magic wand and you could fix something in our politics today and it would be fixed, what would that be? We've just been through the redistricting process. I would uh, immediately uh, transfer that to an independent uh, commission independent, impartial, nonpartisan uh, commission. It, 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 uh, it's so difficult, uh, even for the best uh, intentioned individuals, to uh, make critical decisions uh, on situations where they directly affect you. Uh, and the, the, those most directly affected by the redistricting process should not be the folks making those making those decisions. Uh, so, yeah, that's where I'd start. The next thing I would change would be to return judicial elections to a nonpartisan uh, nonpartisan basis for the reasons I've already already mentioned. Well, Representative Joe John, we appreciate everything you do for your district, everything you do for the state. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast. Well, thank you all for, for having me. This is, uh, uh, I've listened, as I said uh, earlier, to to some of your interviews, and it's a great opportunity to to uh, get to know some of our colleagues uh, uh, that uh, we might not ha- otherwise have. So uh, now they know a little bit more about me, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and they're going to enjoy it. Thank you, sir. Thank you all. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. We really love working with Judge John because he is so thoughtful. He goes to almost every committee. I see him come into rules. He reads every bill. One of the few legislators that I know that really reads bills and thinks incredibly critically about them. He'll call me about a bill if it has something to do with domestic violence, sexual assault, and we'll go through it. He is just a pleasure to work with and also learn from. Mm-hmm. He's a kind of a grandfather figure in so many ways. He's an older gentleman, and he very much is a gentleman. 
And I remember you and I were talking to Representative John in his office, and he was very frustrated after a committee meeting. It was just a, a very controversial bill dealing with domestic violence. And he told us that he felt like he kind of lost his cool a little bit, which he did not. He was yeah. a gentleman. But what I noticed, he was really talking to himself about how he needed to be better and not lose his composure. And when we say Judge Joe John knows how to do politics better, he certainly does. Tweet of the week. Tweet of the week. So... <laughs> Kind of a dead week. Yeah, not to promote ourselves. If you know us, you know we will promote ourselves. So <laughs> the tweet of the week is from Brian at New Frame Inc. You're invited to the Do Politics Better cocktail hour on Wednesday, November 10th at 5 p.m. at Longleaf on Lane Street, just a block from the NCGA. No RSVP needed. Just show up and let's talk and see poll. Sky and I look forward to seeing you. We are looking forward to... And just a couple hours to go over there and have drinks and some cordial conversation. Yeah, it's going to be great. We got a good response from the tweet. We should say we did get a response from, (laughs) you know, Senator Danny Britt. Well, first, (laughs) first, folks, I have to tell you that Brian texted Senator Britt in the group chat with me and started panicking immediately. Because he hadn't responded to him. Like, he always responds. It's fine, Brian. He texts you last night some nice pictures of him hunting with his children, saying, you know, can't come this week, doing more important stuff. Definitely more important. However, he said, how about we play kickball next week? Brian said, I'm not sure next week's going to work for us. How about the week after? Well, it's budget week next week. Can you imagine? <laughs> that? All right. Hey, I know you guys are uh, passing a budget, but let's go play kickball. I don't think that'll work. Some people are speculating, not us, but other people are speculating that actually Danny Britt doesn't want to play kickball <laughs> because he's not agile. <laughs> <laughs> not us, of course. Others I, are saying it. So mm. maybe he chose next week because he knew we wouldn't be able to play. So, Senator Britt, we need a kickball date from you that works with the calendar and the schedule. We want you to show your legislative colleagues on both sides of the aisle that you have kickball skills. In other news, we had a rematch last night of our storied taboo game from Brian's past of cheating. That's not true. We just play by the same rules you do. That's you not ap- true. You apply different rules. That is not true, Brian. To us. Oh my gosh. Brian Lewis describes a word. If you know how to play taboo, there's those words you can't say. Describes a word. The word was bizarre. First of all, Brian uses this word all the time, so it should be easy to describe for you. And then he just starts spelling the word you can't say say, oh it has a z in it that's all it has an r in it i'm sorry that we are better at communicating than the two of you are so we ended up winning by you didn't win no we won by five no we won by five again and Britt gave two of your points to you so you actually lost by seven we had to stop because brian and i were getting a little volatile yeah well we were we weren't our best selves we don't do taboo better better But it was a great night, and a very, very happy birthday to Britt Bryson, and we were celebrating her birthday. I don't know if she enjoyed all the arguing or not, but we ended up just watching The Office. Hopefully, she enjoyed the winning. (laughs) I think she was rooting. Because now we're 2-0. I think she was rooting for me and Corey, because 
She knew that things weren't fair. <laughs> well, Corey described, you have one of these right now. And Britt yelled, beard. And it was beard. <laughs> she was like, how would I know that that was going to be the one thing? He has a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Thank you, Britt, for that point. We appreciate it. If you score a goal on the other, in your opponent's goal, it's still a goal. So We gave you the points and you still lost. Yeah. See, cheating, getting points from the other team, still you come up short. Speaking of short, coming <laughs> short. All right, we're not we're not doing anything better now. We got to wrap up the podcast. No, let's talk about your beard. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about it. All right, what do you think of my beard? So on Monday, Brian texted me and said, "Today we're gonna dye my beard gray." <laughs> Right, because it's splotchy. It's kind of brown under the nose. It's white on the sides. And, you know, I look at Senator Kirk Devier's beard, and it just looks so good. And mine just looks, I just feel self-conscious, so I wanted to dye it. Yeah, you can't even tell you feel self-conscious because you definitely don't go up to every person you see and ask them, how do you think my beard looks? Does it look bad? <laughs> so anyway, we went to the Dollar General. Mm, not a good place to get dye. <laughs> And they didn't have the beard dye that you thought that you were looking for. So we got some metallic silver girl's hair color and tried it on your face. It did not hold. Did not stick whatsoever. I still have the same beard. We did see Senator Devier this week. He pretty much said, yeah, your beard looks the same. Looks <laughs> nothing like his beard. But I'm trying because it's No Shave November. That's right. You know, and I'm trying to do my part here about men's health and... and uh you know, it's working, I guess. Wow. Good for you. You're, you're really changing the world. <laughs> but anyway, I got, what, uh, two weeks left of the beard, and we'll, we'll see how it works out. He has never lasted this long never. since I've known you. No, I haven't had a beard since I was four years old. I had a full-length beard, but I've, had, I've always shaved it off since then. When I was in junior high, there was a kid in my grade who had an entire beard, and when we went to track events, they made him show his birth certificate just because he looked so old. Yeah. I, you have one of those people. In the eighth grade, I was in algebra class and there was a guy behind me who had a full beard <laughs> and it freaked me. I was so afraid of that guy. <laughs> and it, just one more reason why I didn't like taking showers and PE in middle school, because guys like that with full beards just freaked me out. I mean, he's a man. Yeah. Drives a Ram truck in eighth grade. Yeah. Smokes cigarettes, <laughs> drinks whiskey straight. Didn't know a lick about algebra, but man, I think that's our podcast for this week. Take the time to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. You can listen to this on whatever platform you're listening to it on now. And remember to have a good week as things rise up with budget negotiations and arguments on the floor or talking to each other about the budget. Please remember to do politics better. <laughs> I'm thinking like you and I tonight, we go to the our event and we get hit by a bus, someone comes into the office and says, we're going to play their last podcast, <laughs> the unedited version. <laughs> hey, if you find this tape, burn it. Don't do a last podcast, please. It's Julie's job if we die together. Just burn it. Or Carl. Carl. Carl would do it for sure.